0: Welcome to the Blue Collar Gold Podcast, the podcast that shows you how to build a world-class service business from the dirt up. And now your host, Mark Stoner.
1: Hello, welcome back to the Blue Collar Gold Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Stoner, and thank you for joining us for another week of Blue Collar Business Tips, Tricks, Ideas, What to Do, and most importantly, What Not to Do. It's been a rough week this week for me, um, kind of a stressy week. I have, you know, kind of some changeover in my in my company where, you know, some people and I'm going to talk about it in some future episodes about kind of even long term tenured employees sometimes need room to breathe, need to try something different. And this week was kind of that way with me, but in the meantime, a good friend of mine uh, that I've known for many years, Dennis Dobbs, uh, we have been friends for, gosh, probably 20 years, and um, he's joining me because he's, he's going to join our team, but he, Dennis has a fantastically interesting story in the chimney world, so welcome, Dennis. Glad you're here.
2: Thank you very much, Mark. Glad to be here.
1: I got to teach him to speak into the microphone one more time.
2: Thank you very much, Mark. Glad to be here. (laughs) So Dennis hasn't done podcasts
1: before, so this is his first time. But Dennis, I, uh, you know, I, gosh, when was it we got to know each other?
2: Uh, It was in the Southeast Convention uh, that was held in Chattanooga, Tennessee. What year was that, like 2005? Probably 2005.
1: Yes, about 15 years ago. Um, I was just trying to figure out how to have employees, and I had two employees uh, my nephew and, and another guy, right?
2: Mm-hmm. That's good.
1: And Dennis was an instructor down there. He was teaching some classes, and he kind of taught us how to do masonry, and uh, that became a big business for us. But since then, Dennis and I became fast friends. And uh, just, just tell us, tell everybody your story about how you got into the chimney business what drew you into it and and kind of then you opened up a shop like tell everybody kind of what your journey was
2: (laughs) well actually uh, I believe it was 1975 I was 15 years old and um, my uh, uncle and aunt had a wood stove shop and they came to see my mom and dad and they looked over at me on the couch and said, we have a perfect job for you this summer. <laughs> and I said, what would that be? And they said, well, we have a wood wood stove shop. How about being a chimney sweep? Mm. So at 15 years old, my mind started going about, you know, where they, their shop was, where they lived. And it was a very lucrative area. And I kept thinking, well, you know, lots of girls there. Dads were millionaires. So my mind was running away about the possibilities and, um, Then uh, they said, oh, yeah, one more stipulation. I said, okay, what's that? They said, oh, well, you got to wear a top hat and tails. Are you serious? And so that kind of flushed it down the toilet for me. (laughs) I just couldn't. (laughs) To me, that was no way of uh, meeting uh, a serious girlfriend at 15 years old, you know. (laughs) And um, so later on, when I graduated high school, the uh, economy was not very good. And um, so... You know, I chose to go to work. I went to work in a factory, and and I realized when I started working in the factory that uh, I was an outside guy. I wasn't used to being. You'd rather be outside. In. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, my mother, uh, she had been receiving uh, popper mechanics from my dad, and of course they were both into gardening, and they received Mother Earth News, and of course saw the ads in both those magazines about chimney sweeps, and. and um they said you can make up to forty dollars an hour, and I thought, okay, here I am stuck in this factory. What right? year was that? Uh, nineteen eighty, and in nineteen eighty-one, I went ahead and purchased the equipment. And so
1: it's uh, funny, I saw that ad in eighty-five, eighty-six, and they if, said make fifty-five
2: dollars an hour. Well, it just, just shows you how the business has increased since then. <laughs> yeah. So uh, got my equipment, uh, and you know, went to work, and I put my ad in the the paper and very excited and um went and bought a newspaper looking for my ad and then i realized as i opened the paper and went into the all the 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 business ads that um i was one of three people that were that the two other guys started the business and advertised in the newspaper the same exact day oh wow and uh that ad
1: was popular
2: yeah yeah it was (laughs) and uh so I, you know, I uh, started you know, getting a little busier and busier. And um, so eventually over time, I realized that I'd like to do this for, you know, full time. So I wound up buying out both those businesses. And, um, and in 89, 88, I quit my job. What was your job before that? Uh, I was an electrical engineer. Uh, tester and analyzer there and a and, uh, repair guy there in a in a factory we made electrical transformers uh, for computers and uh, a lot of different electrical systems and factories so uh, voltage regulators um but um so i, I quit my business or I quit my job there and um and went to work and uh Realized I didn't know enough about business to pull it off.
1: <laughs> you, you knew so. how to
2: sweep chimneys. Oh, yeah. You just didn't know
1: the business part.
2: Well, I realized pretty soon I didn't know how to do either one. <laughs> and um, Well, real quick, if you're out there listening
1: to this, and I, my story is very similar, where I really didn't know what I was doing, but I knew that I could do it. I think that was the main thing, probably, and you're saying the same thing, that you don't know what you're doing, but you had faith that you could figure it out and do
2: it. Is that? Yeah. Uh, you know, and the little thin, you know, manual that I got with my equipment, it, it gave you a, a rough idea of how to, to clean chimneys, and of course, the equipment was archaic, it's nothing like we have today. Right. And so uh one of my customers you know she said oh well you need to get certified there's a certification and i I, and of course uh i was on the got on the radar of national and sweep guild and and, um got some uh uh list or a advertisement about a a class certification class that was going to be held in chattanooga in 88 and i went to i went to that class and um I met a lot of, you know, some people who are still, you know, our favorites that has been in the industry. I met some mentors of mine there. Jim Burr was one of them, Ashley Eldridge was another. And I also met John Bittner, who's executive director. And so sitting through the class, I realized there was a tremendous amount of information I didn't know. And and I thought, well, you know, I, I realized... The liability that I incurred by doing things wrong. I thought Creosote was the enemy. You get the Creosote out of a chimney when a customer said, asked me, is, is it safe? Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't see any Creosote left, so yeah. Must be safe. And that's not true. So uh, anyway, I, I studied, went and uh, got to certified in, in 1989. And um, so in 92, I, I got married in '91, and '92. We decided to open up a, a small hearth shop. And when we opened up the doors of the hearth shop, then more education kicked in because we got into gas products. Right, uh, gas logs were popular. Uh, of course, vent free
1: was. At, well, at that time, out. when you were when you opened up that shop in the early '90s, about what percentage of your work was wood burning versus gas? Because I know. In most areas of the country, gas has kind of really taken over, and wood is a smaller part. But at that time, what was it like?
2: We were probably 70% wood, 30% uh, gas. Mm. And um, and then when Vent Free started taking off, we got into a, a lot more. Um, so uh, it, it became a huge part of our business. So learned how to service gas logs, you know, ran a lot of line, but... Uh, um, and then, uh, saw the, uh, early, uh, introduction of direct vents that were making their way into the Southeast market. And it was a tough sell for, for, for direct vent, but, uh, it finally took off and it also became a big part of our business. And, um, so got involved later on with the Southern Association, um, and became president of that. Mm-hmm. And, um. And I was involved with the Southeast Convention Association. So it was it was interesting seeing the excitement of others. And um, and it's like you and I met. You know, we we shared a lot of lives, a lot of work. We uh, did some work for the Chattanooga Choo Choo during mm-hmm. that time. And um, so uh, I later got involved with the National Championship Guild in, and, uh, uh, and I believe it was 2007. Uh, so was on the board. And uh, later were you just up, a, d-
1: a director, or did you have another position?
2: I was director, and then um, and, um, and then uh, became the technical advisory council chair there for a while. And uh, so I did that for two years. Wrote stories and sweeping, answered uh, questions and calls from around the country with other sweeps. So I really liked helping other sweeps understand the industry and and um, and. You know i wouldn't say what i have was expertise but i'd say what i have is is, is experience um for dealing with uh people or customers in the showroom in, in the home and uh and also the various products and um so i saw the uh the industry rise and fall and change and um with a hearth market and um and i got better and better uh, i felt with servicing the uh, the, the gas logs, got a gas license. Um, and then also, uh, with chimney sweeping, with the changing of, of equipment, getting better equipment, the rotary, how, how it made a real huge impact. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and some of this was pre-internet. So, you know, you had to, you had to, you were drawn to people who were more experienced. So, I uh, developed relationships with, with mentors that really helped me along the way.
1: Let me ask you a real quick story about mentorship. I talk about that quite a bit on this podcast about how important it is to have somebody in front of you, more experienced than you, that can reach back and tell you things or, or help you along the way. How important was mentorship to your your growth in this business?
2: Uh, it was hugely important because you know I, I didn't know how to sell. I l- learned uh, from good salespeople. Um, Some and you know talking to our customers, getting to know our customers. Some of those uh, customers I had were were salespeople. So and I learned you know just being yourself and telling the story about a product or maybe what's wrong. You know being honest with the customer about what's wrong with their fireplace and let them know there is a cure cure for their problems and describing what it actually is. So you know I've got a little bit better at that over the years, but. Um, but th- as far as mentorship uh i think th- that it is it's always been an important ingredient and i look back at those who shared uh their experiences with me and um and how it it really enlightened me helped me uh it gave me more uh confidence in, in what i was doing and over the years you know i want to do the same for others and that's what i have been doing
1: yeah so once you um, once you became the chimney sweep, you had the hearth shop. Uh, then what? Then I mean, because you you've been in this business for a very long time. You've had quite a ride. So what happened? You ran that for a while, and then some things changed.
2: Life had a few changes, and um, um, went through a divorce, mm-hmm. and, and you know, and life changes, and um, and. You know, had a few things that kind of lined up in, in life, and and well, know. right after that, you had a heart attack too. Unfortunately, yes, yeah, yeah that, was, that was. I it, went
1: down and visited him in the in the <laughs> hospital, and and uh, it was uh, it was a sad day to see my friend laying there in pain. And you know, I think was it right
2: before, right after your surgery. I believe it was
1: right before. I think it was right before. It was a nerve wracking time. Well, so life changed on a dime. At how old were you?
2: I believe I was fifty six. Fifty six. Everything changed. Yep. Well, and you know, I uh, had the hard shop for for twenty five years. I was a sweep for thirty six, and um, you know, I you know, I, I went. I uh, got back on the board one more time there to to help out, and um, so then <clears throat> I sold my business, got a job opportunity with Olympia, and I decided to take that job. I sold my business to my my daughter. And uh, a month into uh, my employment with Olympia, you know, had a slight pain and uh, realized that, you know, nothing, it would be nothing. But then when I got to the hospital, uh, they they said, oh, no, this is really something. And so so, uh, I was very fortunate. Uh, Everything got caught fairly soon. Uh, Had a defective heart valve from birth, did not know it. Uh, could have been a lot worse. Did and you
1: ever have any symptoms until that right before it happened? No. Wow.
2: No. And you know, it it kind of opens up your eyes to a lot of things in life, and nothing you take nothing for granted. And 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 I try to take positives and make negatives out of them, and it just made me have a bigger drive to try to give back. Right. And um, so I was also very fortunate. Along the way of, uh, long before I got on the board, I had an idea and, you know, I was very heavily involved with uh, the Southern Association and I talked to a lot of sweeps, you know, uh, at conventions around the country. And I had this idea about a, a master sweep and, and what it would mean and, um, and ran for one of the board seats there earlier and um, I didn't, didn't get elected, so I had to wait three years. Finally, got elected. Got to pitch my idea. It got shot down, and um, but I kept talking about it. Kept trying to, to stir interest, and yeah, unfortunately,
1: well, you know, just uh, he, you had interest in it outside of the board. Yes, like oh, yeah. everybody you talked to said, yeah, that sounds good. Like another step for the chimney sweeps to have, you know, a higher level credential. But you were getting shot down on it on a board level but that really didn't stop you you just kept talking about it and generating interest
2: well <laughs> uh, i wasn't talking to the right people apparently and um and so over time uh, it gained it gained some interest and and there's a, starting to be a uh, a bigger uh following of the idea and uh, others i'm sure have had the, the same idea but uh, all the stars aligned, and and uh, and fortunately, in uh, 2016, you know, I met with the CSIA board and pitched everything, and and it it went through, and uh, and you were you were president at that time, had a lot of good people there on the board, so I was very very thrilled it was just such a great idea and there was
1: you and johnny pilger had been talking about it in different circles and john was on the board this time and i was on i was the president and you and i had even talked about doing it for if the csi wasn't going to do it we were going to do it on the southern association we got a lot of things lined up but it's a pretty daunting task you made your presentation and again how long did that idea take did you say you first thought of it in 2004
2: it was it was around 2004 so
1: it took 12 at least 12 years mm-hmm. for the idea to come through and now it's a very popular program and getting more popular all the time and a lot of people you know aspire to be a master sweep now and uh, you're number 2 Yep. Johnny Pilger was on the board, and it, both of them came through together. It was really a joint effort. We almost didn't give numbers at all, right? Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I, I've been called number two a few times <laughs> in my life, but in this particular case, I was honored to be number two.
1: Yeah. Well, it's a it. It really is a legacy thing that you did, and I want everybody to always remember. You know how important adding that other level of credential to. Uh, really the standard of excellence in our industry already and you made a higher level and it and I think we all you know need to recognize that and, and be thankful that you, you had such a push for so long and, and we finally did that. So thank you.
2: You're welcome. <laughs> I I don't, don't really think that I did a whole lot, but I just you know just had a, a vision, had a desire <clears throat> and the way I look at it is it, to me, there needed to be uh, a way of signifying uh, that you're the best in the industry and 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 you know there's a lot of responsibility that would come with being the best in the industry promoting the industry and giving the right advice to to others being a mentor uh, you know learning about uh, the CSIA and and you know pushing education. And it's, it's come a long way. And I think, you know, as I look at others, uh, such as yourself, it's a master sweep. And uh, there are some strong people who are great at uh, education uh, and the classes. Uh, it's, I'm, I'm honored to, to see something that's actually starting to flourish. And a lot of these people are stepping up, making a, yeah. a, a great uh, impact on the industry.
1: So well, I mainly wanted Dennis to talk about that because it's such an interesting story and we're, we're going to close out here in a minute, but I know I'm going to put you on the spot here, but tell me what the funniest thing that you can think of that ever happened to you out at a customer's house. <clears throat> I know, I know you maybe
2: weren't ready, but do you have, well, I, I have a story. I just haven't <laughs> yeah, talked about it the other day, but uh I uh, I went to a, an elderly lady's home and um a few years ago and uh as as I was talking to her and I was dealing with her fireplace she was letting me know that how she was a a a, a member of the Engelbert Humperdinck oh. fan club. <laughs> and those of you who may not know Engelbert Humperdinck was a a sex symbol singer that a lot of the women just thought he was just a beautiful man you know kind of like Elvis <laughs> and um and and they were just drove driven wild by this man so she was a member of his fan club and and she was using a, a walker in her home because she just had a an hip replacement <laughs> So in the corner of her living room, she had a, sh- a shrine set up, basically, or just this huge area that had posters of Engelbert Humperdinck, all the memorabilia. And so she was telling me about, you know, over time, the, the women, uh, when they go see Engelbert Humperdinck <laughs> on stage, <laughs> uh, they would, were so excited that some of them would take their undergarments off and throw them up on stage. And you know, at that point in time, they were in their twenties. You know, <laughs> you know, you know, younger women. You know, and um, so and 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 there were panties that were thrown up on stage. So as Engelbert Humperdinck got older, so did his fan base. <laughs> so now some of these women are in their fifties and sixties. <laughs> and and so Engelberg he didn't like handling you know, the panties that were thrown up on stage the granny
1: panties yes
2: so they they yeah, i'm sure they were quite large and so uh, his PR guy got a great idea let's let's you know why don't we just you know have panties that will sell out front this got your name already on them <laughs> And then when women get inside and get excited, they can throw your panties up on stage. Right. And Engelbert, you know, is a good businessman. So he thought, well, you know, I could take the panties, you know, wipe my brow because I know where they've been. And, and you know, throw them back in the crowd. But a lot of them, we can pack them back up and sell them at the next, you know, the next uh, nice concert. concert. Yeah. So anyway, this lady, she was explaining all this to me and she wound up uh, showing me a pair of panties and she wound up dropping them on the floor. And so she looked at me, and I looked at her, and I reached down and picked up her panties and handed them back to me. And so when I got home that evening, uh, my wife, she said, Well, well, did you you have a good day at work? And I said, Yeah, it it went pretty well. The most unusual thing happened. She said, And what was that? I said, Well, I'll be honest. It's the first time that a woman has ever dropped her drawers in front of me. (laughs) And she said, You've got to be kidding me. And what did you do? And I said, "Oh, I just reached down and picked him up, handed him back to him." <laughs> so, you know, and that's the thing I enjoyed about uh, about this industry. You're you're meeting some very uh, unusual people, and, yeah. and it just makes. I'm sure everybody has a lot of good stories, but yeah. that's just one of many. Well, Dennis, I
1: certainly appreciate you coming and uh, stopping by the Blue Collar Gold podcast, and I want to thank you for everything you brought for our industry. And, what
2: did you say?
1: <laughs> and so, um, actually, yeah, I mean, for those listening, Dennis just joined our team this week. Um, he's now working at Ash Busters and we are super honored to have him when I, he's been a friend of my company for a long time cause he's done a lot of training with us and we've only seen him at events. And when I told my crew that we were going to bring Dennis on full time, the whole everybody was very excited to have dennis with us so um uh, thank you for everything you've done for this industry and um guys stay tuned for uh the new our new episode with alan rush he's recorded about eight episodes we're going to call it hot profits so stay tuned for alan and thanks again dennis thank
2: you mark it was a pleasure
1: All right, We are here with my good friend and sales expert guru, Alan Rush. Welcome, Alan. Hey, Mark. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Well, this is our first one in, um, in our, a series of sales uh, topics, tactics, and just stories about what he sees out there on the road. So, Alan, what are we going to talk about this week?
0: Hot Topics. <laughs> hot
1: Profits. Oh, yeah.
0: Dang, I already screwed it up, man. You come up with this great title, and I've already messed it up. Hot Profits. And that hot is it's okay. so much better. Keep drinking. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We. What have you given me here? I've um,
1: given you some Hotel Tango bourbons.
0: Hotel Tango, directly from Indiana. It is fantastic. This is going to be fun. Yes. <laughs> so
1: we're talking about kind of how you talk to customers, how you figure out what they need. What What does that look like?
0: Well, you know, it's to me, it's the key of being a difference of someone that is trying to solve a customer's problem versus a technician mindset that's going in and trying to find the problem. Right. Right. So uh, we've talked about this before. A technician goes in and says, I can find it and I can fix it. And I love that. And that makes me happy. Uh, Whereas the customer may not even see that as a problem or understand why that's a problem to them. So true. Yeah. So uh, discovery, which is a fancy word for having a conversation with a customer, is to simply understand what brings us out today, what's important to them, uh, asking a series of questions that will hopefully help us at the end deliver not just a proposal that's going solve to the, solve the technical problem, but also meets a need or solves a want for the customer. Right. So, So that's basically the series of questions that... You know, very early in the in the visit, you know, we've kind of got to know our customer a little bit. We've done some pleasantries. We've played with the dog. We've high fived the baby, and we've uh, (laughs) you know kind of kind of went through and started asking some questions. And and I I think uh, almost every technician that I train does some level of discovery, but I'm not sure they fully. Initially, understand why they're doing it, right? I feel like we just ask a series of questions because we think we're supposed to, right? right. We there's no, uh, you know, we ask questions, we get answers, but we never really do anything with those answers. So, seems so
1: um, like a lot of times we don't listen well. And
0: it, I think you're you're 100 right. And, and if we do listen, we don't know why we're listening. You know, it's <laughs> it's a, it's a uh, I hear it all the time. We'll ask you know these five or six questions, and then. You know, we'll get to the end, and we—it really didn't matter if we asked those questions at all because our—we're going to say the exact same thing at the end, regardless of what the answer to that question was. Right. And so, um, a, a big part of, of the training that I do is to to help people understand why they ask the questions and how those answers help give you information to drive the conversation, to find out what's important to the customer. And so when we do inevitably find issues, we deliver this and uh, we deliver the information in a way to them that solves something that's important to them.
1: Well, and sometimes in that discovery process, they didn't know that they needed something till you, and it happened today, right? I mean, you were in a situation today with some of my guys and we could have bypassed the thing. The guy thought he was fine, but you helped him understand there was a greater
0: need. And this is today was such a perfect example. And, if you're a client of mine and you are uh, you're out there listening to this example, this is what I've been trying to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> listen the, to me. The, the uh, you know I think it, so. One thing that you've you've done a very good job of bringing awareness to is is, is outside mount caps, right? You've got your fabrication company. I know you work with a lot of different chimney companies on the value of selling outside mount chimney caps. And for you know these are fairly new to the industry, I guess. I yeah, mean at least they've been uh, around, but now they get more popular. They're more popular now, and and. But for the companies that have been out there used to selling, and for you that are not in the chimney industry, I apologize. These are the, the, the little caps that go on top of the chimney. We call them single flu caps. and and they're great for you know uh, for a lot of years we sold a lot of them right they keep birds out they keep animals out they keep direct water out they you know act as a spark or all those things but we, we pretty much learned that they're terrible at keeping water off the structure and which yeah. we know is bad right so and that, uh, they actually do the opposite they right. funnel water directly onto the structure and and can cause more more issues the problem is that you're talking a difference of a price point of three or four hundred dollars versus, a you know, a possibly a fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars. And so there's a, a mind uh, shift, if you will, if you're a technician uh, to go from a, a single flu cap to a, a multi, you know, cover the whole chimney, the, basically the umbrella versus the, the ball cap. And so we had this exact situation today. It was a previous customer. Uh, we've already done a whole lot of work. They've done an investment, done all the big stuff, the interior linings, the done some exterior work, but they had a little single flue cap at the top of their chimney that was rusted out. And the technician that uh, we were with, they were trying to do the right thing, right? That, hey, this is rusted. They come down and they were putting some Rust-Oleum on it to make it look cosmetically better. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we just started having the conversation with the customer that, you know, what that cap does versus what it doesn't do. And they've made a large investment with our company to be able to use their fireplace and to stop problems. And so we just started having a conversation about uh, how water's bad on chimneys and how, when we uh, did an interior evaluation of our chimney, we saw some water streaking and, you know, that's, you know, indicative of the type of cap that he had. And then he just started talking about, yeah, I've seen some water in my firebox. And yeah, that's been a problem. And, uh, you know, I know we had water damage. We spent money before. And I said, said yeah and so lately you know what we have found is most of our customers the easiest way to avoid any future damage is just to keep the water off the chimney and uh the best way to do that is with an outside mount cap and showed him some pictures and what they look like and he loved just the look of it first of all right and then he's like gosh how much is that gave him the price and he's like wow you know that's a you know that's a lot of money for a cap you know which is what everybody's fear is that's what it's like the the fear came true that's what they're going to tell me is that's a lot of money
1: right technician knew he would say that and and technician thought he's, he's going to get told you, down. told you, 50, yeah, yeah told, you. told
0: you he would say that you'd be like, yeah, but gosh, you know, that's the price of about, you know, if I just had to do a couple hours of masonry work uh, of water damage, you know, <laughs> you, know that, you know, that would be that or more. And, uh, and we almost made a joke or he made a joke that, God, those masons sure like to get paid a lot. I was like, you're telling me, you know, and we kind of, <laughs> kind of, kind of went into the, into the whole thing. And he was like, He's like, so and he's throwing the number around in his head. And he's like, he's like, yeah, he's like, he's like, I'd like to do that. And, um, you know, and so, you know, we made, we turned to literally a previous customer that had zero opportunity because we've already done the work. And we not only got to sell, but we actually left them in a better place. Uh, so they're not going to have future. Uh, well, he even alert. made an announcement to his wife, right? Oh, yeah. He said, yeah, he's like, we're, we're buying more caps or we're, we're buying caps from the guy. we a cap today. Yeah, he, he literally yelled at, honey, we're buying a cap today. He's like, it's going to be great. It's going to look beautiful. <laughs> <Yeah.
1: You know? laughs> yeah. That was the sale. So, you know, in this case, if, if you know, in my technician thought the need was to paint the rusted cap. And, and, and my technician didn't even evaluate the need in that way. Cause in his mind, that was already too much. He'd already spent a lot of money. He wasn't going to spend more money. And you went the next step on we've got a better solution and he was a guy who takes care of his house too right didn't he have a lot of nice
0: oh it was a beautiful house a lot of exterior just a beautiful fireplace outside so and, he's and a guy that
1: takes care of stuff 100 does percent. does he want a rusted cap that to be painted or does he want something nice for, for
0: sure and i think it is a you know a mindset shift of he, guy already had a cap, right? He's already spent a lot of money. We don't want to pile on this guy. We don't want this guy to think every time we come out they're going to sell me something. And so you kind of get in your head that, uh, and that's us. That's you know my number one rule of sales. If you've ever been through my sales classes, and you'll hear me say it is, if it feels like you're selling, then stop. Right. Uh, and so I never want to come across as I'm trying to sell a customer or anything. That's why we. Have a conversation about the problem, right? right? He had water inside his chimney. It was that legitimately, and this particular customer had a, a lining system called Heat Shield, which is you know, water gets in it. It's not the the yeah, best the, the, the best thing. And so, we talked about protecting that investment. Um, and I think there was also a mindset shift for this guy that. Um, well, he made all this other investment earlier. We probably already made this recommendation and he didn't go with it then. So he's not going to go with it now. Uh, You know, he didn't spend all this money before, you know. So uh, I think you have to evaluate each situation year by year and you have to have a conversation about the problem. Well,
1: and sometimes you may have presented that in the past. They thought $1,500 was high. They have sat on it for a year or two. Now that's not so high the second time you've heard it.
0: Yeah, uh, for, well, for sure it's and, marinated I'll with you. And if it's if it's like if I started the conversation and said said, hey, sir, let me show you this great fifteen hundred dollars chimney cap I have. I'm like it's this pretty expensive and, cap. And, and they, I, oh, I can get it in any color you want. It's fantastic. <laughs> of course, he's not going to buy that, right? Yeah. It has it. It's cosmetically pleasing, but it's what is the function? What problem does it solve for the customer? Yeah.
1: Great stuff, Alan. Thank you for uh, get, telling us about how to find the need, and mainly just, gosh, we got to listen and kind of anticipate what what how we could help that customer. Hundred percent.
0: Just yeah. ask questions, find out what's important to them, and and give it to them. You know, we I know we're going to button up here with this is that uh, I think it's Jeffrey Gittimer that said that uh, it was people hate to be sold, but they love to buy. Yeah. You know, and so if if we tell a customer something. We could be a sales guy, right? We could be lying to them. They don't have to believe us. But if they tell us what's important to them and we give them that, all of a sudden we're the hero and we've we've, we've solved a problem for them. And and man, that's so much fun when we can do that and we can make money. Great stuff, buddy. All right. We'll talk to you next week. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Blue Collar Gold Podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes or any place that you listen to podcasts. More information is also available at markstoner.com.